Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Just hugely, like honestly, a massive thanks to, uh, to Mike and Jenny and uh, look, just for having us. You know, one of the greatest things I think we get a privilege to have and to do in life is just a journey with people. Like, honestly, don't take any chance encounter as a chance encounter. I think it's always best to assume that God's, God's up to something, even if you don't get it. Like, I think so often we're looking, and I'd nearly love to preach on this, but maybe another time. I think all too often we're looking to, to gain opportunities, but we never do what Scripture tells us, say, in Ephesians 5.16 or in Colossians 4, to make the most of every opportunity. And do you know what? The, without me getting too preachy and on a tangent already, making the most of opportunity actually comes, if you look at Colossians, comes out of a conviction that Christ is preeminent. He's not just prominent. Can I tell you, one of the worst things we do for our Christian faith is we make Christ prominent. By such, I mean, we put Him next to the other things in our life, sort of on the shelf. We put Him next to our career or next to our family or we put Him next to um, education or whatever it might be. One of the worst things you can ever do is make Christ prominent because that's nearly an even worse act of idolatry than just rejecting Him outright because you've sort of had a half revelation of Him, but you're denying the gravity of His his position as God. But can I tell you, when you understand who He is and that he is, he is preeminent and He is above all and He is in all and He is with us in all situations, then you can make the most of every single opportunity. Every single opportunity. All too often we're waiting to go somewhere before we get ready to do anything and God's like, <clears throat> I told you to love your neighbor. Well, no, no, I love the world. Can I tell you, it's really easy to love the world generally. A lot of people are like, oh, I have a passion for the world and it's this thing out there somewhere passion for global development, but the refugees are living next door and we haven't even said hi. You know, like, can I tell you, sometimes we as Christians, and I'm, I count myself in this equation, often we can be so globally minded that we forget that the globe starts under our feet. If we don't love what's under our feet, can I tell you, you won't actually love what's out there. As a matter of fact, you'll find every reason to hate what's out there when you get there. It's always not as good as you think. It's always not as exciting as you think. That's why I love to ground everything we do in the fact that if you don't do it now, can I tell you, I don't care where you go, you won't do it there. But if you do the simple things, love your neighbor. And but can I tell you, loving your neighbor isn't just being nice to them. As Christians, it is important that we both demonstrate the, the love of God and declare the love of God. Because we can be guilty of this. And we use all quotes to, uh, I guess... <laughs> cover our disobedience. It's going to sound harsh. Uh, witness always and use words if necessary. And I'm like, it, I sort of get what they're trying to say, but if you can witness without words, you're better than everybody in the Scriptures because words eventually get there. Because do you know what happens if, if, if Mike does something nice for me, can I tell you, and this is average Aussie sort of stuff, Mike does something nice for me and it's, Mike is motivated by the love of Jesus. Mike just does something nice for me. He doesn't tell me why, I think Mike is a great guy. Now, I want you to catch it for a second, feel the gravity of this. If Mike gets the glory in this moment and Jesus doesn't, it's nearly an act of idolatry because I'm stealing Jesus' glory. Just an example. <laughs> no, like this, that's the gravity of it. I don't want to get in the road of Jesus' glory. I, like, I, I genuinely don't want to get in the road of Jesus' glory. I want to always be going, no, 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 look there. 
Like, no, look there. If, if I've done something good, it's out of the grace of God in my life. And I, if I've said something good, it's out of the grace of God in my life. It's not about me. And if I get removed, that's okay because Jesus is still here. And we've always said that even in the regard to divergent. At the end of the day, and by the way, divergent sounds weird maybe to some people. And some people are like, does that come from the movies? And the answer is, well, not really, but we'll use it anyway. It's sort of like a, a meta-narrative or like a, a, a combined parable about being weird and different and taking your own journey, but a, a journey that actually sort of unites. But Jesus tells us in John 18, 36, but my kingdom is a different kingdom. We are called to be a different kingdom a divergent people, a people that aren't actually concerned about ourselves. And let's be honest, that's not that easy. In Genesis 1.1, and I, I have to admit, I, I, I love the word, and the more you realize that most of the world is in such a heavy sense of confusion, the more you should love the word. But I love the fact that at the end of the day, there's actually one message here. Like, I mean, there is one message in all of Scripture, and that's that Christ has taken us out from there. You see it in the, with Israel. You see it before Israel uh, in, in the Abrahamic covenant. You see it in the new covenant. Christ has taken out, us out so that he might take us in. See, God didn't want to just take Israel out of slavery to, to Egypt and Pharaoh. He wanted to take them in somewhere, and so often we get satisfied with living in the wilderness. We, God even does cool stuff in the wilderness. You whinge a bit, he sends manna, you whinge a bit more, he sends quail, and people are like, we are in the blessing of God, and God's going, no, 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 this is not the blessing, this is the wilderness. Like, and sometimes we refuse, like the half-tribes, to go into the, the promised land because we like the wilderness, because the wilderness, can I tell you, the promise is a lot harder. The, the promise lies behind walls, it lies behind greater object, objects of uh, obstacles and whatnot, but if you press in, can I tell you, it'll blow your mind if you realize that God wants to take your little story and reflect the greater story constantly. In, in Genesis 1.1, it says this, and you probably know it. If you don't, I'm going to read it anyway. In the beginning, God. And I just want you to catch the gravity of this. Uh, I'm known for tangents, by the way. Uh, I, I, I was at Arrow, tangent already, and uh, they do those Leader 360 things, and some, one of the questions, to some effect in the Leader 360 reviewers, does, is Josh concise in communicating his vision? And the answer is no. <laughs> I, I like stories, I like waffling, sometimes I'm not sure what I think. Like, my blog, I say, thinking out loud, because half the time, I'm still trying to work out what I think about things. Anyone have those problems? And then you get nervous if I put it out there and I change my mind. Like, I'm convicted of some things really strongly. Other things, I'm like, sort of feel like this is... I don't do concise well. I do journey well. I love walking with people. I, I love pointing towards Jesus. Sometimes I screw up. Sometimes a good leader. Sometimes I, I'm a sucky leader. Sometimes I'm a good father. Sometimes I'm not a great father. I think I'm pretty good. I've got four kids that love Jesus and we're going pretty well. But, you know, if I'm slow and considering my position, the more I think about myself, the more I realize if I don't start within the beginning, God, I'll get it all wrong. You know, one of the, the, the traits of, I think, uh, modern spirituality, inverted commas, and I mean Christian spirituality, is we start with ourselves. What are my gifts? 
What's my heart? What's my personality? What's my experiences? And then we tell God what He can do with us. Like, we're we're like, and I've done them, and don't get me wrong, I have a love-hate relationship with those spiritual gifts tests. Uh, Every time I do those spiritual gifts tests, you know what, I get three out of 20 for the gift of mercy, and I'm like, sucked in everybody, God did not give me mercy. Like, and then you're like, no mercy, rocking. You can blame Jesus, and then you slow it down, you're like, oh, but Jesus is a great shepherd. Supposed to be like, like, if I start with him, can I tell you, I will carry the gifts that you discovered there to, to build into people, to serve people, not for self esteem. See, the point of the gifts is not to build up my self esteem, it's actually to, to lay my life down before people so they might be lifted up. And in doing so, can I tell you, you find your purpose and you find your satisfaction in serving people because that is the nature of God. Who though, Philippians 2.5 tells us, so though being very equal with God, made himself nothing. See, we all want to talk about servant leadership, but can I tell you in Matthew 20, I find it interesting, we ignore slave leadership in Matthew 20. If you want to be great among them, Jesus says, be their servant. He says, if you want to be first among them, I, if you want to do something even greater, be their slave. And then Jesus goes to the next level, and he being God becomes nothing. See, here's a scary thing for us. Compared to the infinite nature of God, you and I are functionally nothing. Though I am nothing, and this actually instills joy in me, can I tell you, God still loves me. There's nothing I can do that will make Him love me more, like I can deserve it more, than when He loved me whilst I hated Him. Like nothing plus nothing is still nothing. Nothing plus Jesus is everything. So I'm actually down with going, okay, maybe in myself I can't offer God anything that adds to who He is, but I can take on who He is. I can become His Son out of grace. In the beginning, God, and can I tell you, start with God and everything else will fall into place. In the beginning, God, Elohim, the one, and catch this, the one without equal, majestic in every way, the universe, the earth, formless. Empty, dark, and the Spirit of God is ready, hovering. And God said, let there be light. And there was, and it was good. And again, He says, let there be, and it was, and it was good. And let there be, and it was, and it was good. And let there be, and it was, and it was good. And let there be, and again, and it was, uh, and it was, and it was good. And then He gets to humanity. And let there be, and it was, and it was very good. And it was very good. So Genesis 1.27 says, So God created humanity in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And it was very good. Genesis 2.1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And in perfect creation, God and humanity had perfect relationship. God with humanity, humanity with God. But, can I tell you... It seems every time we are given everything that we need, we, we are, are attracted and we go towards the one thing that will screw us up. You, you, he gave them everything they had and says, just don't touch that thing. And it's like a child, we're like... <laughs> like it's, I, sometimes I'm bewildered at myself. I have every reason to be grateful and then I find myself whinging and I'm like, oh, here I go again. It seems when we are given everything, we want the one thing we can't have. The man blames the woman, the woman, the man. Shame, blame, nakedness, fearful, 
vulnerable, broken, distant sin. Hide. Catch the moment. Cover. Justify. Run. Blame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? See, my natural response to when my children do something is, what have you done? I know what you've done. See, God, God knew what they had done, but God's response to us is, where are you? See, through the pages of Scripture and through every moment in history, God is asking this same question, where are you? Come close. Sin has made us distant. Let me come into your world and let me cry out, I know where you are, but here's the problem, you don't know where you are. See, people are sitting there in the darkness and they think that God doesn't know where they are and God is still calling, going, come on, come to me. I have come to you. God is walking in the cool of the garden. In in one sense, it's a description of a theophany. God coming into a moment and going, where are you? See, sometimes we hide going, oh man, you don't know what I've done. And God's going, you don't get this. What I'm firstly concerned about is not with what you've done. It's that now you're hiding. It's that now you're living in shame. Where are you? Come, come close. This is the Father's, this is the Father's heart. Relationship, purpose, closeness, His design, our brokenness, His heart to draw us close. See, we in our souls are but the dust of the earth. But in Him we are enlivened. His breath comes into us. You know, in ourselves we are actually without objective worth. And there is a nihilistic attitude in our society that's starting to realize that the rejection of God actually leads to this logically. But in Christ, we, we are more valuable than we could ever imagine. He calls us that even though we may be slaves, we might come and become sons and daughters. You see, this is the story of all of Scripture of all of humanity. In many ways, and I love Deuteronomy 6, in some ways it's the Jewish anchor uh, to see the rest of the Old Testament through. In Deuteronomy 6, in verse uh, 23, it says, so he took them out so that he might take them in. This, this principle exists in every part of Scripture. An enslaved people that know nothing other than slavery, called to come close this is the story of my life. And can I tell you, it's the story of your life. And maybe you're in slavery and you don't even know what it is to not be in slavery. Maybe you're actually in the wilderness and you're like, it's pretty cool, I'm not a slave. But can I tell you, God has got more. And the more is harder. Like, it is. It, the, the more is more difficult in one sense, but can I tell you, the deep satisfaction will surpass any comfort you find in just being out by going in. So he brought them out so that he might take them in. This, this word has been so deep on my heart, not just, not just in this moment, but can I tell you, over the last couple of years, watching, watching this generation of believers rise and going, it's fine that you want to be out, but do you genuinely want to be in? See, often we get satisfied with manna out of heaven, and we're like, five ways to get blessed, to, like, I mean, some of the, I, can I tell you, without sounding too critical, I walk into Kurung sometime, I'm like, oh dear God, get a new husband by Friday. And I'm like, 
Like, the only way you're going to get a new husband by Friday is travel to the Cook Islands and marry some random guy without, like, any notification. You can do that in the Cook Islands. Here, you need 30 days. So you can't get a new husband by Friday unless you gave notice 25 days ago. Like, I actually think, we, we, we have defined blessing in the church the most ridiculous ways. Jesus is like, blessed are those who suffer, and we're like, hashtag blessed. Have you ever noticed? We, we're given strength by the Holy Spirit, and then we're like, hashtag blessed. Like, and God's like, no, no, calm down, son. Like, blessed. Like, yes, can I tell you, if you've been blessed with strength, the point is not so you can take a, a metaphorical photo of yourself and tell people, look how strong I am. Like, aren't I blessed? It's actually, it's actually to use it. I think we look ridiculous, both naturally and spiritually. Like, like I'm legit. Like, Jesus, when he defines blessing, actually defines it. Can you imagine going, lost my job, blessed? Because that's actually more Jesus' definition of blessing often. Blessed are those who suffer. Hey, I... Now, and I've been humbled by listening to people who have lost their families, who have lost everything by coming to Christ and have this deep well of satisfaction that says, God loved me. You know, you didn't see the photo, but maybe we can pop them up later. One of the the last photos is of a a, a couple called Muhammad and Halimah. They're from Syria, Syrian refugees, saved four years ago now. We've started mentoring them. Four years ago, they planted two churches already. The first in our city has grown at 70 without any... That's them. Amazing couple, can I tell you. Unbelievable. (sighs) They've lost everything. Their families, their homes their inheritance, their identities in the natural and there is a deep well of satisfaction that they know it doesn't matter what the world takes away from them. They have Christ and more importantly, they are in Christ. They're, they are not defined by their past. They're not defined by what has happened to them. They haven't just invited Christ into their heart. They've come and I love this imagery more so in the epistles and you see it in Ephesians 1, nine times in uh, 14 verses. They've come into Christ. So Christ is my identity. Christ is my satisfaction. He has taken them out from a place and He has taken them in. And the journey is hard, but can I tell you, it's so worth it. We are, we are called not just to get out of the world. I think we make it that mistake all the time. Following Jesus is better and worse than you ever imagined. Like it is. I sometimes have listened to evangelists and I'm like, ah... You know, have you ever heard someone, they're like, if you just come to Jesus, he'll fix all your problems? And I'm like, well, he'll fix this one and give you five more. Like, <laughs> like people like want a savior, but they don't want a Lord, I often say. You want a savior to get you out of a hole? The problem we'd say, Romans 10 says, confess him as savior and Lord is a, the savior gets you out of the hole and then the Lord tells you to get in another one. You're like, no, I don't like this place. Now, I know Adelaide people might laugh at Canberra, but I'm sure you already know that the rest of Australia laughs at Adelaide as well. And the beautiful thing about coming from Adelaide or Canberra is we don't give a stuff because I don't want Sydney people to come to Canberra because I'll screw it up. Like, yeah, like, don't come to Canberra. Like, keep your traffic over there. Like, like Melbourne people who think they've got great coffee, like, just keep it over there because in actual fact, you know, Canberra has the best barista in the world. Four out of five years, we've won it. No kidding. Um, they can have Ligon Street. Don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting Melbourne, I'm Victorian. But um, I would rather it be a slight secret of how good the city I come from in Canberra is. And you should have the same feeling about Adelaide going, man, if you're not in Adelaide, you don't, it's like you're nearly not where Jesus is. Like, like I wake up every morning and I communion with Jesus, so Jesus is with me, so I don't know where you are, but Jesus is with me. Like, 
there should be a godly sense of like, I mean, pride in the, the, the land underneath your feet. He has called us out so that we might go and love the city, love your neighbor. And I want you to hear this because it says this in Joshua 1, and I don't rip, preach out of Joshua just because it's my, my name, but it doesn't hurt. And it says this in Joshua 1, 1, and this is them going in. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. And I've always tried to imagine taking over from Moses. This is the guy who stood on holy ground where God spoke to him out of a burning bush and he faced down Pharaoh and he threw down a rod and it turned into a snake and he stood before the water and struck the water and, and you're like, cool, like, I, I would nearly write, like, I'm going to go plant a different church, I'm not taking on yours. <laughs> like, I have to admit, I like church planting in part because it's harder to compare me to someone who's better, like... Hey, you come to Jesus, you're at Encounter Church, just please don't listen to too many podcasts. Like, no, I mean, no, you've got, can I tell you, you've got amazing leaders. And I mean it really sincerely. I mean it so sincerely. See, the point, can I tell you, and this minor tangent, but the point of being in church life is not that you have great teachers, it's you have fathers and mothers in the faith. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, you have many teachers, many pedagogos, pedagogue. And a pedagogue, by the way, was a teacher that would come into usually a slightly wealthy family and they would teach a child until they were 12. But he says, but you don't have many guardians. You don't have many fathers. And see, a, a father or mother in that context and culture would take them from being slightly immature to actually walking in the ways of the house. And here's the scary thing. Most of the time people read that and they don't keep on going and they go, see, I told you there's no fathers in the church. And Paul, though, turns it around and actually goes, I am your father. He actually accuses them, by the way, of not being sons. See, can I tell you, you've got great leaders and they might, some will be older in in the Lord, both uh, in age and maturity. Some will be even possibly younger than you. Can I tell you, spiritual, spiritual maturity is not about physical age. It hopefully would have some parallel, but often it doesn't recognize that God wants you to come beside people and walk with them, not just learn from them in terms of your intellectual capacity. There's nothing greater than watching their marriage. It'll put all sorts of pressure on you, and then you're like, I've seen them fight. Some of you might have even seen them disagree, and then you watch them. And this is a powerful thing. I actually genuinely believe this. Then you watch them make up. We've had 24 different people live in our home since we got married. Even since we've lived in Turkey, we've had two. One an Australian, one uh, a brand new Turkish believer that lives with us. And if I can't open my life so they see what I say, then my teaching could just be a loader. Can I tell you, that's why podcasts might help you a little bit. But they'll actually, can I tell you, if by themselves they will leave you immature. Because that's what the pedagogue, it gets you to 12, that's all good. That's this stuff. But it's fathers and mothers, people that will come beside you and people that you need to walk beside that will teach you the way of the home and the house. This is why, can I tell you, the gathering is so crucial. Because you can listen to some great teacher overseas or this teacher over there or that one. At the end of the day, you're not walking with them. They'll tell you something, but they won't give you the example of how that's outworked. Back on track for a second. (laughs) Now then, all you... (laughs) Told you, tangents, Phil. And I haven't preached much for a long time. 
So we could be here till about nine. No, seriously, I, when, we got seven churches. Uh, I preach on average until three years ago, four to five times a Sunday. I preached a lot. I had a friend complain that he preached 35 times in a year and I looked and I worked out I had preached 170 times and I was like, I think I preached enough. But my passion, and I, I mean this very genuinely, is not preaching. It's opening the word with people. Can I tell you, don't aspire to be a preacher. If you end up preaching, that's all good. Aspire to grab the word and help people journey through it and then you'll be the best preacher that people have seen. Not because you want a position, but because you just want to come beside people. Now then, you and all these people. One of the biggest problems we have, I think, in the West is we think that the gospel is about me. In actual fact, the gospel is all too often actually about we. The call of God on your life is not about you as an individual. And I've often, I come from an ACC sort of background and uh, like hypey sort of leadership at times. And it's not all bad, don't get me wrong, I can play it. But sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed, we quote verses that, well, it's, it's not like they're wrong, totally out of context, but not exactly right as well. And can I give you one that might upset you a little bit? I hope it doesn't because it gave me hope. Philippians 1, six. God will finish the good work begun in you. I want you to hear this. The you there in the Greek is not about you as an individual. It's plural you in Greek. Paul is talking to the Philippian church as a whole and he's echoing a principle that happens throughout all of the, New Te- uh, the Old Testament and into the New. God himself has entrusted his covenant with a covenant-keeping people and he will finish his work with that covenant-keeping people even if you're not involved. And so he can say to, to you... God will finish the good work He has begun in you in Counter Church or you, the church in, in Adelaide, even if you don't keep up the journey. And remember in Deuteronomy 20, uh, 6, 23, He says, I will take you out so that I may take you in. And there would have been a whole bundle of people that were listening going, I'm going to the promised land. It was just said. It's there in ink now. And then a little while later, they rebel against God. God opens the ground and he, Israel gets the promised land. But Bob from the tribe of Levi doesn't. Now, that might sound really negative for a second. Do you know what I love about that? It's really refreshing. Even if I screw up, even if I don't always obey and do what I need to, God, God's work will be completed. It's not dependent on me, even though He uses me as an individual. I find that exciting because there is a great deal of pressure people put on themselves when they think they're Jesus. Like, we have a messianic complex at times as, indiv- as individual believers and especially as leaders. We expect, don't, we should be like Jesus, but can I tell you, I'm not Jesus. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you, I'm not Jesus. Like, now then you and all these people get ready to cross into the Jordan River to the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, there are three challenges I want to just throw out of this text to you, just really quickly. And the first is this, we are, we are called to this together. Now, you and all these people, you know, all too often we think about our call in isolation from the person sitting next to us. And we sit there going, God, give me, and God has given it in, in a person around you. The gift is in their life, the experience is in their life, the words of encouragement or knowledge is in their life, and we just don't accept it. Because we think that this is about me and Jesus rather than we and Jesus. Can I tell you, God will speak to you, God will lead you, but He will also lead us. God wants us to be interdependent. 
We should be codependent and we shouldn't be independent, but we should be interdependent. There, there are gifts on, on Mike and Jenny's life that I don't have and there are gifts on the lives of people around you and God actually doesn't want you to have them. Not because God is not generous enough to give them, but because He actually sort of wants you to stay just weak enough that you realize you need others. And we've seen that with Paul. Paul's like, he prays that God would take away, a bit of a different context, but he prays three times to take away the thorn in his life. God does not, and he says, it's so he could have a revelation that his grace is sufficient. I, I don't just, sometimes you are praying for God to deliver you from something and God won't do it, so you can realize that you're not actually good enough to be independent. You actually do need to stay connected. You do need to stay dependent on him. Yeah, it's, it's really crucial. We're called to this together, and can I tell you, Encounter is not called to be a, a community club. It's a community bound by the mission of God. And that means sometimes people are going to come into the life of this, this community and they're not going to exactly initially fit, but they will love Jesus and they'll love the mission of God and you'll find them connect in like little toes that are freaked out and they've been squashed by their, you know, their shoe when you're six and they don't exactly fit, but then you realise actually, no, they do. They help us stand properly. They, they, they're awkward. I, can I tell you? I've at times been a fairly judgmental individual. I try not to be, but I, I maybe like you. I grew up in some church experiences where I've, if you want to talk about weird, I have some of the craziest stories you've ever heard about church life. I went through a stage where I came to Jesus. I love Jesus, was fairly sure I hated the church until I realized I actually couldn't do that. Because I can't love Jesus and hate his bride. Can I, can I tell you? If you hate on some man's bride, at some point, he's going to punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and it might, maybe the bride is wrong. Maybe she's done something wrong. He's still going to punch you in the face because it's not your place. Good husbands should get ticked off because there's a time and a place for these things and it's not normally my time nor my place to make criticisms when my role as part of the bride... Because if I go like this, let's be honest, I'm part of her. It's actually to be part of her beautification. We're called to this together. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. If you set your foot, I've loved, there's a tension in here and you can even see it in the Hebrew and this plays into things like predestination. I love this. If you set your foot, I've given it to you. you know, there's, a, this, there's this bizarre tension. If you do it, I'll, I've already guaranteed it. How you resolve that entirely, I'm not sure. Just do what you've been told and God has guaranteed that He will give you the, that land principally. Your territory will extend from des the desert of, uh, to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And I want you to catch this. Be strong and courageous because... You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. See, we are called to cause. The, the reason you need to be strong and courageous is not because you are a little island standing by yourself trying to fulfill the call of God on your life, but because He strengthens and He gives you courage to cause, because you are called to lead others, because you're called to disciple others. The reason I need strength as a father is not so I can take selfie photos and pretend I'm a good father, but because I have sons and daughters that I desperately want to follow the Lord. 
I, I desperately want them to follow the Lord. The reason I have strength is not so I can take selfie photos, literally or metaphorically, but so I can cause. The reason God gives the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness, to be a martyr, to lay down our lives. He's called us, He's called me, He's called you to cause others. And I want you to think about this for a second, because if God has called you, then it's actually not about you. And the longer you let it be about you, the less you will experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the sense of the knowledge. God is always with you. But can I tell you, sometimes we're like the person sitting on the plane, and I, obviously we do a lot of fairly long plane trips, and there's sometimes people you talk with, like at, at all point, you're present, inverted commas, with like a hundred odd people around you, but most of the time people are like this. On comes the, the headphones, they look like this, and they dare not talk to the person next to them. See, God is always present with you, but it takes this to be present with Him. Hey. You know, all too often we are present with God, but we feel alone, and it's not God's fault. I, I, I come from a Pentecost charismatic background, quite strong, and people are like, God, be present with us this morning, and I'd be like, I feel a little uncomfortable with this question. The, the, the tone of the prayer is, God, you're not with us, and now we're together, and there's three of us, and I've slightly misinterpreted that verse. Um, you're going to like rock up like you weren't here before. Now, you slow down all these ideas, and you, you realize that they are really screwy ideas. God is no more or less present when I'm by myself in my room than He is at church. Now, can I tell you, he is presently diff- he is diff- he is pre- present at times in a different way, through the lives and the gifts of people. See, I, I don't ever ask God to be present anymore. I simply acknowledge His presence. I, I love telling crew to go, when you're washing the dishes or when you're at work, just go out loud, because this is a confession thing. It's a truth thing, not a feeling thing. God, I know you're with me. When I feel like I can't do it, I, I don't want to state feelings, because feelings are so subjective. I, I want to state truth. God, I know you're with me. And we've been really satisfied in many ways by some great things that God has done through us, but can I tell you, we've gone through some lows that have left me gutted, more than you could possibly ever believe. I literally sat outside one of our churches, and at the time, everything, honestly, in Canberra was like, it felt like anything we put our hands on, it would just work. Like, I mean, I was bang, and it worked. And some stuff happened, and it was not great. And I sat outside our South Church, and I sat in the car, um, and I, I was about to preach. First time, four times I was supposed to preach that day, and I was, I was crying. I was like, I can't do this. I can nearly feel the brokenness even now. I can't do this. And it might sound funny, and I'm sure God will do it to you, and then he brings back his word to you and he brings back the very things you've said and I'm like, but God, I know you're with me. And this is not about my strength, this is not my position, this is about in the beginning, God. This is not about whether I'm full of myself because that leads us to self-idolatry, but am I full of him? Am I, am I empty enough to acknowledge that I can't do this? Now use me. There'll be moments when you are sitting at home and you're like, I can't do this anymore, and God's like, great, at last. You've actually realized, you can't do this, but I can. And can I tell you, things went well that day, generally, and the 
weeks after that still sucked. And then God taught us many things, both about himself and about his grace, that I knew here but I didn't know here. And that's why it's important to keep on walking. Don't run away from the people of God. Don't isolate yourself. We're called to cause. Who are you causing to inherit? It goes on and says, be be strong and very courageous. It it repeats this reality because we're called to courage. People often go, why did you go to Turkey? And people, sometimes people expect really fancy ideas. And the truth of the matter is there's been a long story. The answer is at the end of the day is, well, there's 83 million people that don't know Jesus. 400 million Turkic-speaking people. 400 million, less than 20,000 believers. They go, why? You know, when we were going to Turkey, it was the the midst that the coup had just happened. Whatever you know about that. Uh, Christian workers, our own friends, were getting thrown in jail. Uh, One of them only just got released a while ago, accused of everything, just the most heinous rubbish. People are like, it's fine to take you, but should you take your children? You know, one of the hardest things Angie and I had to, to process in our soul was not, was not that something bad might happen to us, is that there are contexts, and I've travelled to Iraq with my eldest son, we've, I've travelled, I've been, and I don't say this to, to trumpet up, I've, I've been within two kilometres of Daesh fighting where 11 guys were blown up in a house just down the road, and I sort of don't care, I'm all good to die if that had to happen, but the courage to lead my family to a place where they could lose out as well. In my flesh, scares the living daylights out of me. But if I trust God, the greatest place of trust is with my children. It's with my family. Forty years had passed since the 12 spies had entered Canaan, and we see that in Numbers 13. And Joshua, along with 11 others, adventured into the land to find a land that, can I tell you, no doubt was amazing in many, many ways. Incredible abundance, but to 10 it was simply too hard. It wasn't that they acknowledged, didn't acknowledge the good stuff, it's just that all they could see was the, the bad stuff, their obstacles too big, their understanding of their position was too limited. And so often, that's the case of the way we view ourselves. Sure, we see the possibility of plenty of church called Encounter, and then others go, yeah, but do you know the stats on church plants? I, when we went to Canberra, I was told numerous times about how many church plants close and how Canberra is a church planting graveyard. I had a list, no kidding, of the churches in Canberra that were attempted to be planted and I was like, closed, 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 closed. Like churches that had even initially grown quite well, closed. And I, at the end of the day... I had to take my eyes off all the problems and simply put it on what God had called us to. But see, the reality is courage doesn't come from bravado, it comes from submission. Be careful to obey all the Lord my, uh, law my servant gave you. Do not turn to it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful Have I not commanded you? Courage is not an emotional feeling. It's an act of submission. It says, God, I believe what you have said and I'm going to do it. See, the apostle, the one who became the apostle Peter, didn't walk on the water because he got all hyped up. He literally stands there and goes, Jesus, call me out. So sometimes we imagine like Peter's like just foolhardy. It's like Jesus walking on water. No, 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 not at all. That's a misreading of scripture. He goes, Jesus, call me out. Jesus calls him and so he does it. 
It, like, we have to remove the stuff that we hype up in ourselves and go, what have you called me to do? Okay, I've never seen anyone do that by Jesus. But he said, do it. It'll look crazy to other people, but it, it's, just, it's just obedience. See, courage, courage is a choice. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.9 in the second half says, says, uh, says be strong and, uh, and uh, courageous. First Kings 2.1 rather says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His testimonies, as is written in the law, Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. Notice the echo here. Constant echo happens in Scripture. I love it. That the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all the soul, their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is a choice. This is a choice. Be strong because courage is a choice. Courage comes from his presence. So he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is wherever you go. Wherever. Sometimes we're all bravado in church. We're like, yes, we're going to take on the world. Then we walk down the street and see some woman with a hijab. We see some angry King James preaching Baptist guy that just wants to condemn everyone to eternal hell. Now we see, we just get intimidated. But this is why it's so important to go, God, I know you're with me. I don't care whether I'm at my workplace, whether I'm at a desk, whether I'm washing the dishes. It can be one of the most spiritual experiences just to acknowledge He's with you. God, I know you're here. Can I tell you, God, God is not distant. I don't know where you are in your life right now, but God's not distant. You might feel it in the same way that when you sit next to someone on a plane and you're not sure you want to talk to them, they're, they're close. I mean, sometimes they're awkwardly close. Sometimes they're big and sweat a lot. You wish they weren't so close, but they're close. But it's only when you turn and go, hey, I know you're with me. You know, sometimes you need to say it out loud, and I, I say, I mean, I reckon I sometimes sound like a, a crazy man because sometimes when I'm down and I feel like God is distant, I speak the truth to myself. God, I know you are with me. And then when I don't believe it fully, I'm, I, God, I know you're with me right now. I hate this situation. I hate what I'm going through, but I know you're with me. And slowly my, my heart comes into alignment with the truth of the Word of God, of the character of God. Courage comes from His presence. You know, a number of years ago, and I'll close in this area, I used to live in this house uh, with these young guys, mostly come to Christ, uh, very new, they'd come to Christ. But downstairs we had this dude that like seriously drank a lot and was quite violent. And one night we had uh, had this this group of Nauruans actually. Way before the whole Nauruan controversy around refugees, we knew a church in Nauru. And they came to visit our church and this guy, it's 11 o'clock at night. So to be quite honest, it was probably a bit late to have a shower over this guy's bedroom. But nonetheless, he had a shower and up comes this guy, he's had too much to drink and I, I, he's smashing on the doors. You, you maybe know that sort of situation. Oh, I'm going to... And you're like, open the door, hey, go, man. And then he's like going to rip my head off. He's angry. He's going to bash me. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh. And this guy just walks straight down the stairs. I'm like, I don't know if you ever had that moment. You're like, rocking. Totally intimidated by me. <laughs> Must be like the 
the peck wobbles or something. I don't know, like, got the guns out. And then I turn around and here is this big guy. He's 160 kilos, big Pacific Islander, sitting in his towel, standing right behind me. And I realized it had nothing to do with me at all. There's a big dude that this guy's like, okay, fair enough. I, there's some other presence. Like, you know, when we know it's not about me. Sometimes we think it's about us and just acknowledge his presence. He's there. You don't need to be intimidated. When I know God has got my back, it fills me with courage irrelevant of what is standing in front of me. And this is why it says in in Acts 4, Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're called to give account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, this is at the temple, beautiful, and uh, and, are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, salvation found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven by which mankind by uh given to mankind by which we might be saved when they saw the courage of peter and john and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these had been with jesus see this is not about who you are it's about who jesus is and so verse 10 says, so Joshua. And I, I, I want to leave you with this, in a sense, open ending to go, so Mike, so encounter. God is with you. God has called you. He has put a challenge before you that is too big for you. But he has called you to courage. He has called you, he has called you to community. He has called you a community of mission. He's called you to cause others to inherit. So, so encounter, what are you going to do with this? See, some people go, that's all good. Um, but I sort of like this side of the river. And part of the people of Israel did. They're like, all good. I just rather like four fast, quick songs and some nice songs and uh, like because following after Christ is both more intimidating and more inspiring than you'll ever imagine and it doesn't start in Turkey can I tell you it starts when you knock on your neighbor's door and go hey my name's feeling the blank is there any way I can help you I was just feeling maybe maybe you need prayer for something it, it is it is scary and I, w- I want to ground Everything we do, we've done in Turkey, and we've been blessed to see quite some breakthroughs relatively for Turkey, is nothing revolutionary. It's just inviting people home. It's just going, hey, do you know what? The Bible actually says something about that. Or going, hey, on a Sunday night, we just read the Bible together. You ever read the Bible? You should do it with us. And do you know what? When you, when you honour the Father... When you honour the Son, when you honour the Spirit, man, He'll honour every step you take. And so can I encourage you, don't worry about the globe yet. Worry about your neighbour. And when you worry about your neighbour, He'll give you an open door into the city. And as He gives you an open door in the city, you'll get a heart for the nation and the nations. And you realise that missions, which is, can I tell you, it's different reaching people that don't speak your language in a different context or culture, is actually no different from loving your neighbour. 
in Adelaide. So take courage, walk it in community, and walk, walk the cause out. And when you don't feel like you're enough, know that in him, in him you are a son and a daughter and you can't lose. We win. Jesus wins technically, but we're the body of Christ, so let's say we win. We've, we've got this. I don't care what's happening in politics. I don't care what's happening in social discourse. I know who wins this. And I'm, I'm on his side, and so are you. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.